we already talked about this, that the amount of food in America is 6% now organic. Do you know what the percent of research money USDA has set aside for organic production? I mean, this is the growing trend. Research by definition should be leading the pack, not way back following. We're still around 1%. 1% of the total um, is organic research. When the, when the market is already at six. 1% of ag research is committed to organic, yes. but 6% of the market is organic. Yeah. Yeah. So it's as if, you know, say uh, over 100 years ago, when after the automobile first came out on the road, you know, and it needed a, yeah. a, a long ways to go, it wasn't perfected yet. Uh, but yet you can see it was going to be successful. It was going to be the future. Um, wonder if the government then would spend 99% of their money at that time trying to perfect the stagecoach. <laughs> That's exactly what's going on. They're putting all this money in, into a dying system a system that's killing us, but yet that's really propped up by people who are making so much money off of it. Welcome to The Real Organic Podcast. I'm Lindley Dixon, co-director of The Real Organic Project. We're a grassroots farmer-led movement with an add-on organic food label to distinguish organic crops grown in healthy soils and organic livestock raised on well-managed pasture. You just heard from Bob Quinn, who we spoke to last week. Bob is an organic grain farmer from Montana and the co-author of the book Grain by Grain. He's also been pivotal in introducing ancient grains like Kamut to U.S. growers and eaters. And through his research and travels, Bob has witnessed the alarming scale of international grain fraud firsthand. So let's return to the interview and hear the rest of the conversation between farmer and author Bob Quinn and my Real Organic Project co-director, Dave Chapman. So we're getting back to um, the, the problem of, of Roundup on our, on our wheat, for instance. Let's just go right back to wheat. A lot of people uh, who can't eat wheat have trouble with digestion. Yeah. And now Roundup more and more is being sprayed on wheat as a desiccant to dry it out and, and kill weeds right before harvest. Yeah. Not so much in this country as in Canada, but, um, uh, but it's coming in. And it happens if it's if the farmers feel like there's a need, they want to get it sprayed and get it harvested real quick. Um, Roundup is an antibiotic. Not only is it a metal chelator, and it disrupts a certain metabolic pathway, it's found in plants um, and disrupts that to the point that the plants die when they're exposed to this. Um, and, and humans and animals don't have that same metabolic pathway for an essential amino acid that it makes. So we're not affected directly. We're not affected in that way. But Guess who else is affected? Bacteria are affected. And there's more bacteria living right here in our gut than human cells in our body. So there's a lot of, a lot of folks there, you see. <laughs> and if you start disturbing them and giving them an antibiotic, which Roundup is, um, you're starting to affect everything else that's in your system. And, and, it, and people are affected in all kinds of different ways. And many of the effects are described as what people now call wheat sensitivities and they're really sensitivities to Roundup. Yeah. And it's really hard to know what percent that is because we don't do very much testing. Um, so those are the kinds of things that you're talking about that are completely ignored. Um, but I tell people if they, if they do have trouble eating wheat, there's four things they can do to um, be probably 95% sure that they can enjoy wheat again. And one's to start with ancient or heritage grains. So anything that was in, in grown before 
existed before World War II, before the big change in, in the Green Revolution and all that breeding stuff. Always buy organic. You don't have to worry about um, uh, pesticide residues. You also have the, the additional plus that we talked about with having uh, organically grown too. Um, eat whole grain. Eat, eat whole wheat. Don't eat white flour. For heaven's sakes, you're, you're throwing away 30% of, of what's necessary for a good, healthy system and, and, and what wheat has for you. Uh, so we're, we're feeding to the pigs what we should be eating ourselves. The pigs are eating better than we are, you see. <laughs> and so that's not very good. Um, and then eat, if you're eating bread, eat sourdough. The sourdough is pre-digesting the gluten. So if you have trouble with gluten, it's bringing it down um, to a great degree. Sourdough fermentations of 48 hours almost only go that long. But if you did, 98% or 95% of the gluten is gone with that kind of a fermentation. So even overnight, a good percentage is, is broken down. It, it's pre-digested for you. Makes it much easier for the body to finish the job. And if you will do those kinds of things, so some are, some are with the seed, some are with, with the production, the growing, and some with the processing. All, those, all three of those are important. And if you um, stack the deck in your favor on all three, you're gonna be able to enjoy wheat again, almost assuredly. Except for celiacs, we don't talk about celiacs. That's only 1%. Yeah. And that's a different, they're even over the hill. They've gone too far yeah. to, to come back. And, and for some of they, them, it's life and death. They become hypersensitive. Oh, pardon me? They become hypersensitive. They've, and for some, it's life and death. Yeah. So we don't, we don't uh, tell celiacs to experiment. Yeah. But the other 19%, you can experiment with this. And, yeah. and if you do those four things, you're probably going to have success. Yeah. So let me go back for a minute to um, the difference in price, because you know I, I'm I'm really struck by your statement that the reason that you started to go organic wasn't because you believed in organic. You saw the economic opportunity; mm -hmm. people wanted to buy it, yeah, and they were willing to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And what you've learned since then is, by God, it was worth it for them. Yeah. They make good choices, yes. but you didn't know that at no. the time. No, so there didn't. was an economic reality that you as a farmer could try this, this different way of growing, which was a very traditional way, and start to refine and get better and better yeah. at it. So right now, bushel of organic wheat, bushel of ke uh, chemical wheat on the market, what's the difference in price? Oh, see, you know, uh, it's, it's dropped dramatically. Um, so it's almost half what it was a year, a year and a half ago. The difference. That, well, no, I shouldn't say that the, the um, organic wheat was selling for, I think a year or so ago for $14, $15 a bushel in our area. Now they're talking about seven or $8. Um, the chemical wheat is up to four or five. So that's a big, it went from double down to what, a third, a 30% premium. <clears throat> that's a big drop. Would you say that's because the organic farmers got really, really efficient and they <laughs> doubled their yield suddenly? Wouldn't that be a great uh, thing? <laughs> I think what's happening is there's a lot of um, grain coming in from overseas. And so one, so imagine this, David, think about this, 6%, nearly, If you, I always like to round up, but it's very, very close to 6% now of our, all of our food sold in America is organic. Mm -hmm. Only 1% of our cropland is organic. Um, and of course, there's something, I mean, you're demonstrating right here that you can grow a lot on a very small acreage. But if you look at the country as a whole, there's, that's at least a big deficiency. 
And that deficiency is being filled with imports. And some of those imports are coming from very questionable sources. Um, when this first started, I had friends in Turkey that told me that almost all of the corn that, that they knew about was bogus coming through Turkey from the Black Sea region. Um, it would be certified, they would certify 100 acres or so, um, and they would sell thousands of acres <laughs> on that certificate. And there wasn't any way really for people to track that very easy. I was in, you know, so I had a chance with my uh, ancient grain thing, an ancient wheat project, we've experimented all over the world. So I had a chance to travel and, and work with farmers in every continent, except Antarctica. Uh, there's not many farmers there. But in every region where they grow wheat. I was in, in um, Kazakhstan a few years ago, and we were uh, looking at some very large farms uh, that were former collective farms, now we're in private hands. And they had their organic block, a couple of them, in this gigantic, um, oh my God, 80,000 hectares. So that would be you know, 120,000 acre farm. It was gigantic. I mean, and um, Kazakhstan is a third the size of America. And most of it looks like Montana. So that's why we're there, because it, it, it grows well in Montana. We think it grow well there. And um, I was, we we're going to turn the organic block. And here was their, um, um, their lentils. And their lentils had been sprayed down with a desiccate. And uh, uh, I said, oh, um, you sprayed these lentils? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, because, you know, snow is coming. And we've got to get this crop in the bin. I said, oh, I said, uh, well, how did that work with your certifier? <laughs> oh, he said, it's fine with the certifier. It's force majeure. You know, we're forced to spray because of the, the danger of losing the crop. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my gosh. I said, well... If you're going to grow for us, here's the way we're going to do it. We're going to have a new certifier for you. Yeah. And they'll come in and here's how the rules work. And but I thought that was just one instance that I just stumbled onto, Dave. But I saw right before my eyes. And so I know that in a lot of these areas of the world where organic is, is new, um, there's really not a lot of um, control. I found out later that this, this farm was certified through a certifier was actually farming, a certifying a farm in Ukraine. And they were kind of an add-on farm in Kazakhstan. I mean, it's, they're not even close. <laughs> if you look at the map, there's quite a ways apart. But that's how they were doing it. And um, so the oversight was, and even the understanding. So, you know, I don't know how much you could, I didn't want to lay too much um, uh, um, judgment on the farmer. Because I wondered, well, how much did he really understand what organic was in the first place? Right. These guys are coming right out of the chemical um, industrial complex, even in Kazakhstan, yeah, and and um, they don't have the infrastructure. They don't have the background we have here, or the or the group that's helping them. They just know that they're going to get a lot more money if they call it organic, and this is kind of what you do. Yeah, and so if you multiply that one instance, I saw personally um, over thousands and tens of thousands of acres in in that whole region of the world where this is a little bit new, um, and farmers aren't. Aren't, uh, a lot of them don't have money for um, chemicals anyway. They don't do so much spraying as we do. And so the um, uh, residues don't show up, yeah. but yet they're really, um, I don't think they're, they're true organic. Yeah. And they're coming into the country very cheap because now grain prices are quite low worldwide anyway. And so they can just add just a few dollars more and, and come out smell like a rose. And it's, it's a real detriment to our growers here. I, I have a friend who has done a lot of research on the Turkish imports and yeah. and um, she was warned by the FBI 
that there's a good chance her phone would be tapped or that her mail would be hacked. She, you know, he said, you're, you're dealing with a mob. Yeah, okay. These are some scary people. Yeah. Really, seriously. That's, that's a whole other area. You're right. Yeah. You're right about that. This wasn't just some confused farmers. No, no. <laughs> the confused farmers are oftentimes taken advantage of. Yes, yes. By the people who are actually making the money. Yeah. The big money. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, I don't th how much confusion do you need to think that spraying some desiccant's okay? I, yeah. That, to me, is a, a big question mark. But it is just an indicator of the kind of thing that goes on. I brought it up because... Um, you know, for you, there was a clear economic path to changing the way you farmed. Mm -hmm. And I've heard from several serious organic grain farmers in the last two weeks that that path is closing for them because this this price difference. Yeah, it's, the, it's the, so narrow The now. price has been cut in half. And, you know, as as we said, if, if you had to borrow money to buy that land and you have a bank payment to make... Yeah. Um, one of them has said, you know, I'm going to have to take and convert X acres to conventional yeah. in order to pay my bank loan. Yeah. And this was not what this person wanted to do. They weren't yeah. going to be perpetrating fraud. It was just not yeah. how they wanted to farm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the fraud is what it is that pushes the price down yeah. so that only 1% of the land is organic. Yeah. And, and, you know, because we want to change that. Yeah. We want to make it that all the land is organic, yeah. you know? And so... I think in order to do that, we have to go back and we have to look at the political situation of what gets certified. Mm -hmm. People want to buy what you're growing. They want to buy what I'm growing. Mm -hmm. and, and they want to be, um, have confidence that it's correct. That's right. When they, when, they don't, when they see somebody's name or label they don't recognize or when it goes into a, just a big mixture and a big brand or something. Yeah, <clears throat> their literal health, their lives depend on this. For some, it's very literal. That's right. Very literal. And so, look, Bob, you and I are pretty good at selling what we grow. Mm. You are. You're a good marketer. I'm a good marketer. Yeah. And we're able to find a way to get the price we need to, yeah. to survive as a farm. But most farmers, they're not very good at that. So they're really relying yeah. on things like the organic seal to make sure that they can connect with the people who want to eat that food. That's right. And they're good at growing the food, Yeah. but they need, that's what government is supposed to do, right? They should, well, here's what, here's one, another big thing that I want to see the government, I'd like to see government do. We already talked about this, that the amount of food in America is 6% now organic. Do you know what the percent of research money USDA has set aside for organic production? I mean, this is the growing trend. Research, by definition, should be leading the pack, not way back following. We're still around 1%. 1% of the total um, is organic research. When the, when the market is already at 6 1% of ag research is committed to organic, yes. but 6% of the market is organic. Yeah. yeah. So it's as if, you know, say uh, over 100 years ago, when after the automobile first came out on the road, you know, and it needed a, yeah. a, a long ways to go. It wasn't perfected yet. Uh, but yet you can see it was going to be successful. It was going to be the future. Um, wonder if the government then would spend 99% of their money at that time trying to perfect the stagecoach. That's exactly what's going on. They're putting all this money in, into a dying system, a system that's killing us, but yet that's really propped up by people who are making so much money off of it. This is, if we could free our government to... Um, make decisions based on the future good of the people 
the health of the people in this case, the health of communities, the health of our environment, it would be very easy to say, we're, we're not asking for more. When we go to Washington, and you and I have both been there, you know, lobbying and whatnot, we don't ask for more money. We just ask for a, 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 a dividing up the pie differently to, to respect what's happening in reality. And the, an advantage with organic research is that um, most of the things that we do with organic systems can be adapted or applied to chemical systems even on a small basis, uh, like in rotations, for example, or in um, biological control when chemical controls don't work anymore. It's, it can be um, uh, beneficial to a huge number, to all, essentially. And, but the reverse is not true. If you're not using chemicals, another chemical research isn't going to be of help to you. Yeah. Um, in Montana, we have a situation now because of, of the um, no-till that's come into vogue with the chemical um, spraying of weeds. Um, and then, so you don't disturb the soil, and then you put fertilizer on top of it year after year after year. Our soils are normally quite alkaline, uh, high pH, because they're, they're semi-arid. There's not enough water to, mm. to make them acidic. Mm -hmm. And like what you have here with all these leaves and green stuff. Um, but now with these chemical additions and the soil not being disturbed, a very thin layer of the soil is becoming acidic and it's destroying the, the wheat. Um, it's lowering the, um, when, when you lower the pH, uh, compounds like aluminum now become soluble and the wheat's taking them up and aluminum is very toxic in the levels that now is being accumulated in the wheat. So we're growing stuff that's not even healthy anymore besides destroying our soils. The research to solve that problem, because the way the research is set up, and this is just the way it is now, they had to have an answer in three years because that's the length of the most of the grants, the three-year grants. And so they had to have a solution in three years. So organic wasn't even, wasn't even on the table because we all know that it takes more than three years to start to see effects if you're starting from just pure chemical. It's a three-year transition to get to the beginning of organic. And they needed to have it done and finished by then. They needed a, a solution in one or two years so they could write it up in the third year. And so their solution was, to, well, what do they do in Iowa or, or the Midwest? They uh, line their fields if they're too acidic. And so the solution is adding another chemical to solve a problem a chemical uh, started in the first place. You know, Einstein said that anyone who um, tries to solve a, a problem in the same way it was created is doomed to failure. And that's what they're doing besides adding more expense on top of the farmers to buy another chemical. Um, this is entirely the wrong direction just because of the, the industrial mentality and the way that the research system is set up, Dave. So we need to, to think out of the box. I, you, know, you and I both agree on this. We, we've been thinking outside the box alone. We probably don't even know where our boxes are anymore, right? <laughs> but um, in, no, in most cases, it's very difficult to get the traditional um, mindset and the way of doing things changed. So I'm, of course, I'm really focused on research because that's what I love, I, you know. And I and I appreciate also we need we need uh, solutions in 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 the things you're talking about and the labeling and certain of controlling fraud and that kind of stuff too. But to help people be successful in organic conversions in our area, most of the farmers don't know where to start. They're afraid to start because they they're afraid of failure, yeah. because there's nobody there to help them. There we have almost no county. Um, um, agents, um, what do they call them here? They call them extension county agents. Agent, extension yeah. agents yeah. that are trained in organic. Yeah. Every county should have an extension agent that has some training in organic. So retraining of all those would be a, a huge benefit because where's the farmer going to ask for help? Um, 
a lot of them don't have close neighbors that are organic already, um, and they don't have contacts that they feel comfortable, and, they, and, and they're not very good about going online and looking at pictures and, and, and translating that to their field. Yeah. Um, the well, younger the, ones are better than that than, than my a, age, of course. But um, the older ones, for them to convert, they have to have a way to see the possibility and have a, a feeling of a fairly high percent of success. Yeah. What can we do? How do we do this? How do we? What kind of rotations can I can I make? How do I make this work? Yeah. Um, those kinds of things. Yeah, and they've got to have a market. And um, of course, they have to have a market. You know, in Vermont, uh, we don't have many wheat farmers, but we have a lot of dairy farmers, and we have yeah. a lot of organic dairy farmers, and they're going out of business because the price going down. Because the price is going down, and people say, "Oh, it's the almond milk." Right? Oh. I don't believe so. Yeah. I think over half of the certified organic milk on the market is coming from southwestern CAFOs. Oh, well. From Colorado, okay. from Texas, yeah. right? Now, from okay. Idaho. Yeah. Now and, you're opening up another new box. Of, uh, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. But it's a serious it's, thing. It's the same idea, though. Yeah. It's the same idea that people are coming in in an industrial mindset to, to try to take over organic movement. And, and if we lose the founding principles of what we were trying to escape from in the first place, if we surrender that back to an industrial model, we've lost um, a good share. I won't put a percent on half or whatever. A good share of what we're trying to do in the first place. We're going to lose the farmers again because we're going to end up with just industrial complexes that are growing food. And they're going to... When I, they're going to be required to figure out how they can use uh, more and more medicine to um, treat animals who are confined unnaturally who are going to get sick. Because when you confine animals, they get stress. And they're just like people. When people get stressed, they get sick. When animals get too much stress, they get sick. And if you're going to have sick animals, you're going to have to treat them. And so if you're treating them, then you're introducing antibiotics, you're introducing all kinds of other things <clears throat> that really are not good to have in our food. And so the answer to that is to, to follow the principles that we had intended when we first um, worked to have the organic law enacted in the first place. And that was for animals, certainly um, um, grass-fed and free-range of, of all kinds so that they take off that stress. They're healthier. Um, just like, David, it's just like the soil. If you have healthy soil, you're going to have healthy plants. If you have healthy animals, you're going to have healthy food. Um, you can't have healthy food from sick animals or animals that are constantly under stress. <clears throat> when you have that, the manufacturers, and you know, I don't want to name any names or anything, but the manufacturers don't see this as a big problem because they have the ability to hire food scientists that can doctor up the food with some kind of additive here. So the tastes are not coming from the original. And you see that too with, uh, I'm sure, in and when they manufacture tomato products, you know, if you don't start with a good product, well, it doesn't matter. You just add this or that or more sugar, more salt or more whatever. And you come up with a nice stew or whatever you've got, stew tomato. Um, it's the same thing with, with other industrial food um, uh, processing. You, don't, you can cover up a poor raw material with a bunch of additives, which in most cases are not good for your health at all. And it would be much better for us if we focused on what we were trying to do in the first place. And it's just not for us, it's for our kids and our grandkids. It's for the future. Yeah. Um, that's what we're trying to do. Uh, we're not just, 
saying, well, it's not just a, it's, it's more than philosophy for us. Yeah. It's the future. It's just not drawing a line in the sand and say, okay, no chemicals or no what, you know, don't step over this line. It's, it's way more than that. It's a system to try to bring things, peace and harmony back to all aspects of life. And that will help with our health and our vitality and how we can enjoy each other. Yeah, yeah. You know, when we started the Real Organic Project, I named it after a conversation I had with a friend of mine, a Dutch yeah. grower. And he came to the farm and he had come once every couple of years with his wife. They go biking through New England. Really oh, yeah. nice man. I wow. liked him. He's a grower from Ontario. A big hydroponic grower. Uh-huh. And uh, I respected him. He respected me. Very different. Yeah. <laughs> Very different. <laughs> yeah. But it's okay. It's okay. Difference. Okay. And and he had integrity. Yeah. You know, he, he was completely honest about what he did. He didn't call it organic. Right? Yeah. And he called me and he said, I, I'd like to come by for a visit. And I said, sure, of course. And, and he said, this is actually a business call. I said, really? What? He said, well, you know, the market is pushing us to do an organic hydroponic line. Oh, wow. Right? And uh, he's a big grower. Yeah. Big, big grower. And um, he said, you know, the, we sell to these supermarkets and they're going, your competition has, you know, organic peppers. Why don't you? Huh. And he said, so I want to come and talk to you about that and see what I can learn about organic. And so he came and, you know, but he wasn't talking about organic growing. He was talking about hydroponic growing called organic. Uh-huh. And I said, you know, I'm batting for the other team. <laughs> and he said, of course, I get it. You're real organic. Yeah. You know, I'm just dealing with a market situation huh. and what can be certified. Huh. I'm not talking about what's real organic. And I, I saw that same term in a letter of yours and again in your book. Yeah. And you said difference between real organic and industrial organic. So I'm curious, you know, I know you've tracked the hydroponic debate a bit and you certainly seen this about confinement animals mm -hmm. and you know about the grain fraud. Yeah. These are big things. Yeah, These are not little. And and it's everywhere we turn now. Yeah. The only thing that I don't know of being fraudulent is tree fruit. But, you know, for grain, it's like, well, even if I buy organic alfalfa meal to put down in my greenhouse, I have to really do some research. Where did this come from? Uh-huh. You know, because yeah. if it if it came from Turkey, <laughs> yeah. I don't believe it. <clears throat> and, you know, and I'm not sure if it came from America. Yeah. And I want it to be. I know in the in the Kamut project, you you basically created your own label mm -hmm. and it was an add on label. And you said so something to be called Kamut grain, right? It must be organic and yeah. it must be this seed variety. Yeah. Did you actually check out the farms that were doing it to make sure they were? Oh yeah, and yes, and uh, we visit the farms. We actually provide technical help for them if they're yes. just early in organic. Um, we try not to get any first-year organic guys yeah. because we want to make sure that their certification is going to be okay. Yeah, <laughs> that sort of thing. Because the first year you never know. Um, but and we try to help them with with problems that they with they um, encounter. We we require them uh, for, or prohibit them from growing any more than twenty percent of their crop as Kamut because even though it's the most valuable crop they can grow because we don't want to disrupt the um, 
the um, crop rotations that actually is the heart of how organic works in our in the in the, in the upper Great Plains at least, and um, and so we are very careful with that. And we've had some you know that kind of bail out and want to go on their own, and they and that's fine if they want to if they want to call the grain anything under the sun. They're fine to do that. They just can't call it kamut um, legally, but um, we. We, we spend a half a million dollars a year testing for residual pesticide contamination. Uh-huh. That's, Monsanto should be paying that bill, Dave, yeah. not me. <laughs> but um, we want to guarantee our customers that it's, it's legit, everything it's is fine. It's what they wanted to buy. And if there is a problem, we want to be the ones that find out about it first, not have someone else tell us yeah. that they find that something is wrong. Because um, when you got a, a couple hundred uh, farmers, um, you know, it's, it's a pretty big job to keep track of all of that, but we get together. We, we tried to form an association so that everybody wins, as I talked to you to, to earlier. And so if we have um, uh, challenges that come up, we work together to solve the problems. And if we have good fortune, the prices go up for our, for our, um, in our in, uh, where we're selling in Europe particularly, and we, we get more than what we're expecting, then we reserve the right to raise the price of the farmers anytime we're able. And um, I don't know too many other companies that work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's happened, Dave, because of that, and we've done that before. So we've actually been able to give them a bonus that we didn't expect because of what's happened to our, and our customer um, uh, where we're selling the grain later. What's happened with that program is that in, in times when, we had a time when there was a great scarcity of, of Durham and the price of Durham went sky high, it went over top of us which was very unusual because we're priced quite a bit higher than, than the um, other grains. And yet we didn't have any farmers who jumped ship and sold out for a higher price. Mm-hmm. They stuck with us because we stuck with them uh, when the tables were turned and, and they were uh, having trouble. And that's, that's the way I think it should be. Um, and so that's what we tried to do. Um, anyway. That it's there's always going to be um, a few bad apples, but usually we try to not make it easier fun for them, yeah. so that they don't they don't stay around long. It's yeah. too much trouble. Yeah, um, in our program, and we're yeah. able to do that. Well, it, it's great. I'm really impressed. In my mind, you've basically taken everything we're trying to do in real organic project and applied it to one crop. Yeah. Right, and and it sounds like a marvelous success, and you've managed to use that add-on label to get a, a quality price for a quality yeah. product. And the, and the key to that were two things. One, you've mentioned with your tomatoes, the reason you can sell your potatoes at a premium and have success is because they taste good. People see the value immediately when they bite into it, and that's. That's the best kind of marketing in my mind. That's right. You just get it, have to get them to buy the first one. <laughs> and once they buy the first one, then they'll buy the second. And, and we faced a little bit of that challenge too. That when we went to Italy, we were told, don't, don't even think about going to Italy. Your grain's so expensive, no one will buy it there. Yeah. The Italians, are not, they're not rich people generally. Yeah. Um, they have a little more money in the north and the south, but um, they're not going to pay that kind of price. Um, so we didn't go there. And we ended up, going to a food show after we'd been in Europe for uh, four or five years. Here there were a hundred products we didn't even know about on the market. It was taking the country by rage. 
and it was because of the flavors that they made a pasta that had a flavor that some of the old timers recognized as something they had even before World War II that was familiar to them that they had lost and now they had been refound. And the naturopathic doctors discovered right early that, that it was good for um, this antioxidant and anti-inflammatory thing that we hadn't even discovered yet. They, they could see the healing power of it and they were recommending it to all of their patients, which we didn't know about in the beginning. Yeah. And so we had those two kind of underlying currents that made a huge wave that we didn't, we didn't really do anything to promote it that way. We didn't spend millions of dollars to advertise or anything like that. It just- You caught the wave. Yeah, <laughs> it, you just rolled the wave and tried to keep up. And it was, that was a challenge to keep up because, you know, and if you've ever been to business school or heard any business classes, they always say, don't have too many eggs in one basket and don't grow too fast. And we had both of those things and yeah. it wasn't easy all the time. So yeah. it was a challenge. At the symposium, and when I interviewed Dan Barber, he was talking about this high-fat oats. Oh, yeah? And he said, oh, these oats are so good. You don't need butter. You don't need cream. You just, you just, you don't need sugar. You just eat the oatmeal. And I swear to God, by the end of the symposium, everyone was like, where can I get these high-fat yeah, yeah. oats? It was great. Yeah, it was great. that's right. So, you know, based on your success in the Kamut project, do you believe the Real Organic Project is going in the right direction? Do you think there's a need for it? Do you think it has a chance? I think that the need is, Dave, is to have a point where we can rally around to save the reason that most of us who've been here for a few years uh, went into this movement in the first place. And to me, it is the part that's sustainable. If we, if organic is co-opted, by the industrial mentality. And, and I'm not, when I say that, I'm not saying we should never end up in, um, in Walmart or something like that. We have to end up in Walmart if we're gonna reach all the people that we wanna reach. We, our goal is, our, our goal, and I think we can agree on this, we haven't talked about this, but I think we'd probably agree. Um, we're right now at 6% um, of the um, food in America is organic. It's taken 35 years to get from near zero to 6%. But at the current growth rate, in another 35 years, so our, the next generation from us, they can finish the job that we started. But if that job is co-opted by the industrial models of doing things, then we've, I think we've lost half of what we are more, of what we've mentioned before, of what we really were wanting to do. Um, we're focusing on the whole picture, not just on the quarterly bottom line and how, we can, how many corners we can cut to, to make that happen. That's not what we focus on. We focus on the long game, the, the health of our people down two or three generations, as far as we can see. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in a position now where it's time for great-grandchildren to start. So that's three generations now. I remember my great-grandparents. I stand in the middle of seven generations that I can see from where I am. So I'm used to looking long-term. And the long-term, in my mind, is the heart of what you're doing and what you're talking about. It's what is that we, it, you know, there's a lot of buzz about regenerative now. We didn't have that term when we started, when you and I started. We talked about sustainable though a lot. And the idea with sustainable was, if we kept doing the same thing we're doing now, will it, will it last? Will something run out or whatever, whatever, just keep going, right? That was, that was our original idea. I thought it was a pretty good idea. The regenerative has some good also nuances. But 
coming back to what's real, and it's interesting, I hadn't heard that story about how, how it was actually the other side who tagged you with that. Was it you coming up with it? That's, that's even a better story, I think. But um, if, we, if we lose what is at the heart and the soul of this, then we lose a great deal of what we started with. Um, if we're just gonna focus on the mechanics and the quarterly reports, you know, and, and, and all that's important is, you know, the profits for the shareholders and that whatnot, oh, there's way more. How do you measure profits in terms of health? How do you, how do you measure profits in terms of community um, uh, survivalship, you know, those sorts of things? That, that is the opposite of, the opposite of the real organic in my mind is the industrial model. That's what I see. And that's how I see it. Uh, um, people, sometimes they don't all see that the same, but if we can, if we can paint a big enough picture, which shows everything, the background, the, you know, the edges, that means what's coming and what's been, um, maybe it would be easier for people to understand. Um, we have to get past the, the, um, the pure price of stuff in yeah. terms of dollars and cents. And I think that's our biggest challenge. It, it has to work economically for, every, for, for the real organic guys just as much as anybody else, as the chemical guys. Um, it's not working for the chemical guys now. And we have to make sure that we don't lose that. And that's why I was talking about referring to the industrialization of it. If we go to the industrialization, we are going right into the same kind of trap that we came out of the chemical. Yeah. that I came out of the chemical um, background with. One of the things I've really, you know, just keep insisting is that when we say we want 50% of the food to be organic, we don't just want it to be labeled organic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's easy to label food organic. Yeah. They're bringing over shiploads of, of corn and, and soy from Turkey, and when they get here, they are labeled organic. Yeah. And you go, great, look at all this organic grain and it's cheap. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So organic farmers have gotten really efficient. No. Organic yeah. farmers already were efficient. It just costs more to do it that way yeah. at the register. Not, That's right. Not when you factor in the health. And, you know, so what's important is that we don't get seduced by the labeling and we say, no, no, we need to change the reality. Yeah. And a lot of people, I know a lot of people are upset about the idea of... Uh, having now an additional label. But if you look at what's going on in Europe, and I look at Europe, I visit there a lot <clears throat> because not only it's our biggest customer, but also it's, it's fun. You learn stuff. When you go around the world, if you keep your ears open, your eyes open, you learn things. And what I've learned there is that not everybody has agreed on, on their label either. And so you've got certain um, uh, groups that have uh, a little tighter uh, definitions. In Germany, it's very, very common, um, and it's well accepted. And the thing that I think we lost, and I was afraid about this, um, I was in a debate real heavy with the, with the National Organic Law when it first went in. And, <clears throat> and the fear that, that I had, and, and many of my friends had, that the law would become a ceiling as well as a floor. Because what was happening before then, uh, every state was different. That was one of the problems we had to solve. But we had very many certifiers who were always kind of competing with each other and edging up the standards 
as they learned how to do things better. And so things that they once felt were essential now weren't essential anymore because they figured out an organic alternative. So it was always evolving, yeah. which I think was good because organic by definition should be evolving. It, um, we should be learning how to, how to be closer to nature we talked about earlier. When we codified everything into law, then it became very difficult, and that was it was like pouring cement around some stuff. Yeah. And now we, what we've seen, you know, I don't know how many resolutions or recommendations that NOSB has made over the last 10 years, and there hasn't been a single one of them enacted, not a single one. Right. And so because they're bumping up against the reality of who is in control and has the most influence at USCA and in the government, um, that also was not anticipated. I think that there was real hope that the NOSB, as a spokesperson representative of organic, could really um, provide direction and suggestions that would be heeded. <laughs> For heaven's sakes, what, yeah. what's the good of making a suggestion if no one ever listens to you? Yeah. You know, and that's happened very few times. It's been a few times, but it's it's the exception rather than the rule. It should be the other way around. Yeah. Um, I was on the first NOSB. We spent three years coming up with. Um, our, our first kind of groundwork of, of rules and regulations. USDA threw out most of that and came up with their own. <laughs> After all these meetings and hours and oh man, debates and testimony. And they came up with sewage sludge and GMOs and what was the other thing? Radiation. radiation. That they added uh, just because that was, that was, a, that was the influence that they, they were under. And it was only because how many letters came in? A quarter of a million or something? Right. The more than anything else that had ever been proposed, there was more letters of reaction to that than anything else. And it, and it caused them to backtrack almost back to where we were, yeah. uh, what we wanted. And now, you know, it's not quite that way, but still, um, <laughs> it's, it's a, um, a two-edged sword for sure. We have to be diligent and we have to ask the questions of why not? rather than just you know rolling over and saying, well, okay, that's the way we've always done it. Organic by what we started with is not the way we've been doing it for the last 50 years. So we're used to doing things different and better, you know, I, I would hope. I mean, that's most of our, our, um, our drive is that we're doing stuff better yeah. than it's been done before. Yeah. And we can't let that, that fire go out of um, focus on, on um, something that's better, not just more efficient or not just, you know, a fad or, you know, is making a new, uh, a new bunch of money for somebody. Yeah. Um, something's better. If you have organic coming in to this country <clears throat> and undercutting what's happening here, you don't have any of those um, things I talked about with the, the, the high cost of cheap food. You haven't solved any of those problems. You haven't helped the local farmer at all. Yeah. You haven't helped the local community. You haven't reduced our pollution because you still have the same amount of acres growing non-organic and you haven't um, helped our health. Other, well, that's that we maybe is a little bit depending on how some bad of it's real. Some of what's coming in is real. Yeah. So, so, so you can't condemn everything. No, but but, but, but you but, can but say what is going on. The problem is, is that a lot of it isn't. A lot of it is, and I, you know, I don't want to say, oh God, any food from Mexico or from Guatemala or wherever you can't trust that. I don't believe that. I yeah. think that there are people who care and there are people trying to do a good job and doing a good job. It's just that. You sure can't trust it just because it's got a USDA label on it. Yeah. You can't. Well, the other thing, Dave, I think that we should be focusing on, and particularly with this pandemic that's been swirling around us for a whole year now, um, <clears throat> is the 
the importance of local food sovereignty. Yeah. Of growing not everything that we eat, but most of what we eat. We should rekindle that in every region of the country. In every region of the country, and I've been doing a lot of experiments with dryland vegetables. People say you can't, well, you can't grow vegetables in Montana, you know, and make a living. Well, maybe you can't. Well, it's still seeing if you can make a living. <laughs> but I think you can. First of all, you have to be able to grow them successfully. We can't grow everything, but we can grow basic uh, foods of uh, potatoes and and um, squash and onions and even we're even growing tomatoes out in our dryland. Yeah. Now they're not as nice and beautiful as yours. I'll bet they're delicious. But they're delicious, That's and right. you can taste the difference and even you know between my garden ones right. and the and the dryland ones. Yeah, and they're and they're both organic. Yeah, but the dryland. Um, now we didn't have very good luck with the big giant ones. Yeah. That was a little bit over the over the top. But for the smaller ones, they just just fine with dryland with no. We just spread the plants apart. I give each plant six square feet, so they get. Uh, 36 I know at places like uh, Chez Panisse, they, they pay more for those. Yeah. And, you know, because they know they taste better. Yeah. So, and you know, and they're, that's what they're doing. Bef before we go, I know there's a long conversation, although I'm enjoying it greatly, but let, let's go back and just touch for a minute on regenerative. It's become a big deal. Yeah. And um, I think it was a, a big deal three years ago as people were talking about ideas about how do we change farming to be better for climate, mm -hmm. right? And to grow better quality food. And in my mind, all real organic is regenerative. Yeah. But, but that, you know, that's a fine conversation to have. But now we've got Cargill, Bear Monsanto, yeah. Walmart, uh, uh, McDonald's, yeah. uh, you know, uh, Lando Lakes, they're, they're all claiming to yeah. be regenerative companies who are working hard to promote regenerative agriculture. Yes. And I say, well, that's good news because if that's true, you and I can go drink wine on the porch because the world's problems are solved. Yeah. We're going to have good nutrition and, and climate-friendly agriculture, mm -hmm. but I, I don't believe that the world's problems are solved. So I think that what we see is a tremendous corporate takeover of a name, mm -hmm. which is ill-defined. So yeah. I'm curious what, what it looks like to you in Montana, you know, in, in your world, as you, as you see this, I'm sure you see it coming up and it becomes part of a conversation. Mm -hmm. What does regenerative mean? Yeah, well, this is the second round I've seen because I saw the same thing happen with sustainable. All of a sudden, cargo, if you go to the grain, I always go to grain grower meetings and, and the other main line, and I'm a member of Farm Bureau, I always like to go in here with the chemical guys have to say because, Dave, it's amazing how they, how they stir the um, pot and, and um, market what they're doing. And at a certain point, they started talking about sustainable. Their, their methods, their system, their products were sustainable. So they see, they, they have their people out all over. And if they see some word that they think they can co-op, you've heard of greenwashing? Well, that's what we call it in Montana, greenwashing, because we don't have much green like you do here. <laughs> <laughs> so we know what that means real, real easy. Um, and it means the same thing you were talking about. Um, they're they're co-opting a term that is starting to gain some popularity or um, excitement and saying, well, that's what we are. And, and pfft, the thing that really started to boil my blood 
when I would go to some conferences and I'd hear these regenerative guys who are actually spraying Roundup in their uh, no-till, and, and they're calling, because no-till was kind of almost linked to regenerative as, um, as um, uh, similar, or uh, simult- uh, the same, absolutely the same. And, um, and yet, and they didn't talk about this, but when you ask them afterwards, oh, they're just using just a little Roundup, you know, to make the whole thing work. <laughs> I don't know what a little was in their idea. Maybe they're spraying, you know, four times instead of six. I don't know. But anyway, they were making, they were still relying on that crutch. And then they were bragging about how much better it was in organic because um, they were saving the soil and weren't tilling the soil. And yet they were killing the soil by putting poisons on it. So this is, this is the reason we went to Congress for a legal definition of organic. Because in those days, as you remember, and of course Vermont was leading the pack and in many ways doing a great job of, of defining what organic was so people understood. But we had neighbors like Utah that had no national law. Uh, Idaho didn't have a, a law. Wyoming didn't have a law. What was organic in those states is whatever anybody wanted to call it. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing the same thing with regenerative. Um, and either you're going to have to link it with organic and call it regenerative organic so everybody knows what they're talking about, or you're going to have to have it legally defined. A na- natural is the same thing. And that was one of the big arguments I was using for passing the law, even though we were jittery about it is that we're afraid that organic would go the same way natural went. Yeah. When because it didn't mean anything, it all of a sudden meant everything. And so there was, and then regenerative has done the same thing. And so it's really natural and regenerative are just going right down the same road. I go to food shows, one of the f- fun things I used to do, <laughs> you know, you have to have fun some ways. <laughs> and I could go down and I'd, I'd stop at these booths where they had the big natural sign. I said, oh, natural. I said, what does that mean actually? And it was just, I could have written a book about all the different answers I got. <laughs> if, the, if the owner was there, they normally knew what it meant to them, and they could tell you something. If there was just a, you know, a hired hand uh, off, the, you know, off the marketing company or whatever, they had no idea in the world what to say. Yeah. And it was just, it's, 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 so it's not a new thing, yeah. but we need to call a spade a spade, I think. Yeah. If it's greenwashing, it's greenwashing. And it doesn't matter who it's coming from and how you know, well-intentioned well, uh, they pretend to be. If it's not real, it's, you know, it's greenwashing, it's greenwashing, that's Yeah, it. yeah. Well, Bob Quinn, it's, it's been <laughs> a long conversation. Uh, you, you've got places to go. So thank you very much. Well, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, what a, what a pleasure, what a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Real Organic Podcast. We hope that you will subscribe, tell your friends, and leave us a rating and review. A video version of this interview can be found at realorganicproject.org forward slash episode 75. Please join us next time when our guest is longtime California organic produce wholesaler, David Weinstein. David has been part of the organic movement from the beginning and has watched the shift in organic wholesale over the years to much larger volumes, greater efficiencies, but to fewer and fewer receivers. To support this podcast and our certified farms, become a recurring donor at realorganicproject.org and get the benefits of being a real friend, including our book club, where you can ask our favorite authors your questions. See you next time.